can't stand to fly. I'm not that naive. I forget the lyrics, but I know the song is called Superman. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Flop Shop. I'm Cormac Duff, and this is my fiance, Isadora Lamego. <laughs> Isadora has been replaced by a robot for it says boop for the duration of this episode. That's you know that's the entirety of my personality, actually. Yeah. Exactly. I could actually spend the rest of our soon to be married life just saying boop consistently. And you'd no. be like, there is nothing wrong here. Yeah, and people like R2D2, and he only says boop. No, but considering how much I say boop a day, like I could just spend the rest of our lives just saying boop, and you'd be like, no, that, that's Isadora. She hasn't been replaced by a robot. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could have like a stroke and only be able to say boop, and I wouldn't notice for like a week. <laughs> to be fair, I communicate very well with my boops. I'm like, boop. <laughs> Perfect. So today, what film are we talking about, Isadora? Drum roll. The not bad Justice League. The not yes. crap one. It's the Snyder Cut of the Justice League. <laughs> it does not suck. Isadora, did you like it? Yes. And then I was personally offended, attacked, and aghast that it took them this long to give me this movie. Like, I felt personally attacked. I felt like DC was targeting me specifically. Mm. Because... It was so good, and I don't understand how how someone ever thought that getting Joss Whedon, who honestly has had a, a dramatic career decline in his quality of work, like I do not understand why they thought it was like a good idea to bring him in and change things at all. Yeah. So in this film, we're going to be talking about how Warner Brothers took a good movie, made it a bad movie, and made it back into a good movie again. So yeah. this is Zack Snyder's Justice League. Okay. So for our viewer who has been living under a rock, so we have so far your mom um, and our rock viewer, and I think that's about it, um, who tell, tell us what is the difference between Marvel and DC when it comes to comic books and superheroes? Mm, well, recently, <clears throat> I guess the weird thing is that DC, like, Marvel was so successful at making their superhero franchise, right? But part of the reason that Marvel's so successful is they have good comedic timing, they're lighthearted, they tend to have, like, pretty good cinematic perspective on their movies in terms of, like, shots chosen and things. And then DC was like, let's do that, but grungy and dark. And yeah. it hasn't gone well for them. Yeah, so in the past, so DC have... Um... You know, these kind of famous golden age superheroes like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Marvel have like Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. And DC um, and heroes are better. Like, that's the thing that I still to this day don't get. This should have been like a slam dunk. Yeah, yeah, I'd say like, especially when it comes to like villains, Batman is better villains. So with, um, so nor with uh, all of the DC superhero film rights belong to Warner Brothers. Uh, which is like a single studio and it's an absolute boon for them because these are like some of the most recognizable characters in in cinema history and they've had a lot of success making them over the years you know there's successful super superman movies in the 70s batman movies in the 80s and 90s and then the christopher nolan batman movies in the like 2000s which were incredible 
Except uh, number three. I stand by that number three was overhyped and had incredibly poor pacing. Yeah. So in 2012, uh, the third, The Dark Knight Rises came out, which was a bit of a letdown. And the same year, Avengers comes out, which is all these Marvel characters in a super kind of light, rompy movie that makes $1.2 billion, more than a Batman movie. And uh, suddenly everyone wants to make a cinematic universe movie where you take a bunch of characters from a bunch of different movies and slam them together in one movie and hope that it makes money. So DC wanted to do this and uh, you had this with Universal as well. They wanted to make like a shared universe of monster movies. So they had oh, like yeah, Tom Cruise in a mummy movie. Oh, Jesus. I don't understand why that was a good idea ever. Like he wasn't even a mummy. He's just some guy who kills in a mummy. Like what? Like what was their plan? I don't know. Like I actually don't understand. Okay, the thing that's hard for me though is like, you think DC would have been successful making a cinematic universe just because literally the Justice League in my mind is the iconic cinematic universe. Like I, well, I grew up watching the Justice League animated series, and it was a genuinely good cartoon. Like. Children, well, no, I guess I'm not a child anymore, but people my age liked DC. We grew up with, like, the Teen Titans, fantastic cartoon. Like, the Justice League animated series, fantastic. Like, the Batman animated series, fantastic. The Superman animated series, fantastic. This really should have been the frickin' slam dunk. Yeah, on paper, they have much more recognizable superheroes. Like, I was watching uh, The 40-Year-Old Virgin a few years ago, and... Uh, there was one of the jokes, which is like it hasn't dated very well as a film. One of the jokes, jokes that dated terribly is that um, Steve Carell's girlfriend is making fun about how lame Iron Man is. And I was like, this came out four years before the Iron Man movie and it became like really yeah, cool. Iron but like Iron Man was not a recognizable lame. character. He's basically just like a knockoff Batman in a metal suit as far as most people were concerned. Yeah. So, I think what Marvel did do is they got some pretty good actors to be the characters. Mm hmm. Like, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, like, was a controversial choice when she was chosen. I do think she looks like Wonder Woman, though, you know? I think she looks like what you'd imagine Wonder Woman to be. But um, I'm still not the biggest fan of Batfleck. I know that you actually ended up liking him a bit during the Snyder Cuts. Yeah, so I'll go into that a little bit more. So this wasn't the first time... Um, DC tried to make a Justice League film. Uh, George Romero, the director of Mad Max Fury Road, uh, was actually given $220 million uh, to make a Justice League film about a decade ago. But uh, the plug was pulled on it because Christopher Nolan said, if you make this movie, I'm going to stop making my Batman movies. Christopher Nolan. And guess who they, guess who they cast as Batman? They, I'll give you a clue. It wasn't Christian Bale. It was America's best up-and-coming cannibal actor, Army Hammer. You know, when you said cannibal, I was like, oh, my fave, my fave, the guy who plays Hannibal in the Hannibal series. I'm like, no, the actual cannibal. Mass Mickelson, <laughs> Mass Mickelson, yes. I was like, Mass Mickelson, he'd be a great Batman. Yeah, yeah, so... um. Yeah, so basically Avengers came out, directed by Joss Whedon. It's this kind of super happy, fun, light-hearted um, action movie. Everyone wants to do one. And meanwhile... Before Joss um, Whedon's career got destroyed. This was, this was pre... 
controversy. Yes, exactly. It's a pre-controversy. Um, and meanwhile, uh, DC are like, oh my God, what are we going to do with our superhero movie? So next year they bring out, Man of, they have Zack Snyder, who's most famous for directing 300. Um, he has achieved kind of some critical success um, directing Watchmen. And then he brings out a Superman movie a year I after. I like his movies, by the way, like quite controversially. I'm actually like a bit of a Zack Snyder fan. Yeah, I like his movies too, but I didn't I didn't like Man of Steel that much. I felt it was, Man of Steel comes out a year after Avengers and Man after Batman too dark. trilogy ends. And it's very, it's kind of produced by Christopher Nolan and it's trying to ape Batman, you know, the Dark Knight's kind of somber, grungy vibe, but I, I, I wasn't a huge fan. So I think that my issue with the way Superman was done, and probably, the thing is that Marvel became so successful so early with the Captain America movie, and the way they portrayed Captain America was in many ways the way Golden Age Superman is portrayed. You know, that kind of wholesome American pie, like, you know, I have a bit of angst, but really I'm just a nice guy raised in middle America, and I've come to try and help the world, you know? I got raised by farmer parents. Yeah, it's truth, justice, the American way. Yeah, and the kind and the hard thing is like the movie it's weird because I am actually a pretty big Zack Snyder fan, but his Superman was probably one of his few movies that I really didn't like because it went too dark. Yeah, I feel it it, it didn't suit the character. I liked it. It would have worked better as a Batman movie. I think he really wanted to make a Batman movie. And he tried to make Superman as dark as possible, and it didn't quite work. Um, and he got his wish to make a Batman movie when Man of Steel didn't make a huge amount of money, so they didn't greenlight Man of Steel too. But even like immediately after the Christopher Nolan trilogy of Batman movies came out, they're like, "Well, we need to make another Batman movie uh, right away." So they made Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice, which came out in 2016. I'm really hoping there's a secret Dawn of Justice cut. There is a secret Dawn of Justice director's cut. It's yeah, it's I I really think we should review it. It's half an hour longer because I hated that movie. I thought it was I hated that movie, but like I liked the more amount of steel, but I thought it was still really bad considering the amount of talent they had. I thought I was going to watch the Whedon cut. Sorry, sorry, not the Whedon cut. I thought I was gonna watch the Snyder cut of the Justice League movie and hate it. But I literally have had my mind change so hard by (laughs) that cut that now I'm like damn it, I might actually love the, like, director's cut of Batman vs. Superman. Yeah, so Batman vs. Superman came out, and the character motivations didn't make sense. It was very muddled. It was very kind of grimdark. Uh, everybody Edgy hated Batman, it. this is a fake gun. Yeah, and later that year, Suicide Squad came out, which people hated even more. So it was a really bad year for DC. So they, and now they're they were... Thing. There's a new Batman, there's a new Suicide Squad. Yeah, exactly. They've rebooted everything. They were so sure that this movie was going to be a hit that when Batman vs Superman was coming out, they were already uh, filming Justice League. And they gave Justice League a huge budget. It's somewhere. It was somewhere between $300 and $400 million. Um, and it was so expensive that they wanted to split it up into two movies, like Harry Potter or Twilight Style, because they wanted to make their money back on it. That actually um, might have been a good idea. Considering the cut that we watched was four hours long, it might have worked. Yeah, they should have actually just done part one and part two and like released the Snyder Cut. Would have been amazing. Yeah. Um, So so basically Batman vs Superman got a terrible reception from fans and uh, 
critics and was underwhelming its box office. So everyone at DC panicked and they're like, oh my God, this Justice League film we're making is going to be an absolute bomb. It's going to be worse than this one. We're going to lose a ton of money. Um, and we need to go back to the drawing board. And at the same time, the idea of making a two-part movie, they went away from that because whereas it made a lot of money for Harry Potter and for Twilight, people were starting to get tired of it around the time that the Hunger Games was split up into two parts for the last book. I and... cried during Harry Potter part two, hysterically. <laughs> I just didn't watch it because I was like, I, I thought it was really cynical. They're splitting up the last book into two parts and it doesn't suit the pacing at all because like the entire second, you know, part two is just like a battle scene. I know, but it's like actually in my mind, they're like two different movies and like, oh, I know. That's probably horrifically cynical, but I love that it was two parts. Like, I actually basically disliked the vast majority of the Harry... And I'm a gigantic Harry Potter fan, but I disliked almost every single movie until they split it up into two parts in seven because they finally had enough time to give me, like, some of the money shot scenes that I really wanted. Yeah, no, and yeah, I think one of the advantages of, of giving a two-part movie for this meant that you'd have more time to explore the characters. One of the reasons... Batman vs Superman got such poor reception is because the studio cut out 30 minutes of the of Snyder's cut and of course they didn't cut out action scenes because those are the scenes that cost the most money they cut out scenes that like the developed character to make you care about the people so that when like you know a big character spoiler alert dies at the climax of the movie you don't really care and you don't really want to watch the next one like I just stopped watching DC movies after this came out yeah also I ended up okay I hated a certain amount of the characters in the Joss Whedon version of um, Justice League. Like, I wasn't particularly invested in Aquaman. Like, I don't know what Snyder did, but I ended up loving Aquaman. I was, like, the biggest fan of The Flash. Ended up loving The Flash in this movie. And also Cyborg. I, like, did not like Cyborg in the first movie. And now, with the, like... Snyder cut. He was such a compelling and good character, and he had such like a great arc. I was like, mm. Cyborg was robbed. Yeah, so I read an interview with Chris Terrio, who wrote the um, script for uh, Justice League, and Cyborg is the main character of the film, uh, as far as he's concerned. Like, he's the person who goes through the most. Um, he goes through the most uh, change uh, through the film. He is the most compelling arc. Um, and when this film came out in 2017, this was pre-Black Panther. So he would have been the first kind of high-profile uh, black superhero movie in, or superhero in uh, decades. Um, so the um, the actor uh, Ray Fisher who is playing Cyborg was like really interested in doing it. And um, it seems like such a shame. Like he did not get on well with Joss Whedon and did not get on well with the studio heads. So in the Joss Whedon cut of the film, they like, cuts three quarters of the scenes and uh, completely changed the ending to sideline him. I know, and he is... Okay, wait, this is also the thing I just want to say, okay? I... Okay, the first quarter of the Snyder Cut, I was sitting there being like, is this actually going to be good? You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's four hours, so it's obviously a bit slow to start, you know? And mm. the first quarter, like, has a couple like, issues, like, a couple of, like, pacing issues. I'm occasionally, like, how did a character get there? Like, they had four hours, but they couldn't explain how a character got to this one location. Okay, whatever, fam. But by the end of that movie, like, they completely rewrote the ending, and I was just, like, shook. I literally stood there, and I was, like, this me, like, 
this ending makes the fact that they formed a league completely justified because every single person had an extremely important role to play and no one was sidelined. And Superman was not like the end-all, be-all required key to save things, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so when you watch, um, so basically Joss Whedon was brought in because the, you know, the, script, the film was almost four hours long. They wanted to cut down to two hours. They wanted it to be lighter. And he directed the Avengers. They basically said, oh, do that. So they spent like millions and millions on reshoots. And they ended up with a film with, you know, paper thin characters that, that was confusing, that was rushed, that no one really cared about. And they and weren't it was, funny. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't funny. Like... They added they added lots of kind of you know quote unquote funny lines for uh, the Flash, but because they relied uh, relied on him so heavily, it ended up just being um, that he was overused and that he was really grating in the theatrical cut. Like I watched the theatrical cut on a plane uh, two years after it came out and stopped watching after twenty five minutes because I was like, this is boring. I don't I'm not invested in anyone. I don't care. Yeah. So there are like I will say there are like. I actually love this. I like the longer I get away from having watched the Snyder Cut, the more I just remember how much I liked it. Like I have such like a um, fantastic view of that movie. Because like in my head, it is a strong like eight point five or like nine out of ten. You know what I mean? Because it just hit everything that I needed for a DC movie. But like, like I was saying before, it did have its issues in the beginning. Like, there definitely is, like, a weirdness to having a four-hour movie, you know? Because the pacing can always, is, like, a bit off. But just, I just got so emotionally invested in the characters. They were so genuinely good in comparison. Like, I came out of the um, Joss Whedon movie only basically liking Wonder Woman, but that was an easy sell because I liked the Wonder Woman movie, the one successful movie they made. Yeah, exactly. They'd had they'd had one critical hit up until then, um, the and they're basically coasting on that. But then I remember that when I watched the Snyder Cut, I think I told you this, I actually, it's not that I ended up liking Wonder Woman less, but I actually just ended up liking everyone else so much. Mm. Other than like Batman, but I find Batman inherently boring, but that's like, that's a personal issue. That I was just like, Wonder Woman isn't even my fave anymore. Wonder Woman isn't even my fave. I don't know how that <laughs> happens. I liked her so much. Yeah, yeah. So basically, when the when the Justice League film came out, um, fans hated it, and a lot of fans said, "Oh, why? Like Joss Whedon ruined the tone of the film. Um, bring out like the original Zack Snyder cut." And for year, they they ran this kind of Twitter campaign for years trying to release the Snyder cut, and uh, Warner Brothers kept denying it. They said the Snyder cut doesn't really exist, um, and it was only uh, last year that Warner Brothers finally relented, and they're like, "Fine." We will give you the Snyder Cut, um, but it is not in some vault, uh, you know, ready to be released. It's going to take $70 million to make it. And it's not because they have to do a lot of reshoots. They only need to do three days shooting to, you know, put the film together. It's because there's so much special effects work and that this film was going to be four hours long. So there's loads of special effects shots they hadn't done yet. And it was going to be in a completely different aspect ratio. So whereas like... The Joss Whedon film, like the the frames are really kind of wide, like super wide, like cinema. With um, Zack Snyder, he wanted to do a four by three, so looking like an old TV or an, or a, I guess more modern an iPad, um, and he wanted that so it would look amazing on an IMAX screen. And everyone's like, "But you're releasing this for TV screens. Why do you do by four by three? And he's like, "It's my director's vision. It's how I want it." 
So I actually ended so they up. So have to like redo yeah. every special effects shot again, like every shot of the film, to fit the four by three ratio. So that's another reason it was so insanely expensive. I did like. Oh, I remember we were watching. Um, um, we were watching a video that was talking about like how the different aspect ratios make you see the film, and there was someone who commented that um, it actually does make the heroes appear bigger. Like on a yeah. wide shot, everyone appears small because you can see so much of the landscape. But the like hero, the hero money shots really were very precise in the four by three ratio. Yeah, I think the four by three ratio works really well. There's a scene where like Batman is on top of the roof and there's lightning in the background, and I think it's an homage to you know the Batman animated series opening, and he looks great in that. And then there's kind of the money shot at the end where like the team are all you know together standing in the line, really proud, and like yeah, they really dominate the frame. Like I think the four by three ratio works really well. And I actually don't like with everyone going super, super wide as the trend is at the moment. Like, I'm like, go, like you're the human, the human vision is closest to four by three. Um, so I don't know why we don't do it more for films. I think it's really in like the 1950s, that these like super wide screen productions became uh, more common with these like biblical epics, like the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. We've kind of kept doing that since, but I don't think it's based in logic. I just think it's based in like, Let's bring out some gimmick. I hope it sticks. I think I have an issue with it because, um, okay, well, this is an Isadora thing, but I used to always show up early to movie theaters because I needed to get the perfect seat. Oh, yeah. It's like that time I, I watched you, uh, you're, you were at this showing of Leon the Professional, and I walked in, and the cinema was completely empty, except Isadora, who has her like seat exactly in the middle, like middle row, middle seat, being like, hi. But you know why? Okay. You know why? It's because you need the perfect seat because you need to be back enough mm -hmm. where you can see the entire screen of your eyes without having mm -hmm. to move it. Because in a wide screen, like if you get too close and you have to look multiple, you know what I mean? Yeah, I did watch I did watch Avatar in 2009 from like the, because it was such a hyped movie and I came in at the last minute. I was at the very front and like the very left. So I spent the entire movie with my neck craned up and turned to the right. And I'm pretty sure I got like neck strained because it's a three hour movie. But then if you sit all the way in the back, like you don't get as, I mean, there are some people that are very hard, like back row people. And like, you know, I respect it because it's the best visual, like, you know, you can see the whole thing very easily. But for me, I kind of struggle with it because I have poor vision. So I need, I need to sit like as close as I can. I do, still getting everything. I do not get people who are like sitting at the back of a film. I'm like, the screen looks so small. Like you might as well watch the film from the sunken place. Like I don't know, Cormac. Like I kind of have like a respect for that because I'm like, they came, they knew what they wanted. They want to be able to watch that whole thing like perfectly. They want to not have to move their eyes, and I respect that. But I, I think it's, I think it's just they wanted to. They want to get to like first base with their girlfriend. They're 15, so they want to go to the back row. Like that's the only reason I could think of. If the middle's not available, I usually go back. <laughs> but if I'm allowed to choose my seat, I come early and I aggressively, I count rows and then I try like multiple rows to like see. Like I get there very early so I can be like really Wait, annoying. I, like, you actually I, count the rows to figure out where the middle seat is. Yeah, and then I go to that one. But then if that one doesn't work, then I start slowly moving up or down until I get the perfect one. It's like an adjustment. And how do you figure out where exactly is the middle? Do you count seat numbers? Or do you kind of position yourselves here in the middle when you're looking at the screen? I can't see numbers. This is why I come early. It's a lot of work. 
maximal like movie time experience a lot of work Cormac okay and then it was really awkward because one time I went to go watch this first Star Trek movie for a second time and I went in and I was really early I was 40 minutes early and one old man was seated right in the middle in the exact seat that I wanted and then it was like kind of awkward because I was like walking around like trying to like sort it out like but the row in front of him wasn't great in my opinion and the row behind him was also not perfect so in a completely empty movie theater i say hi to him and i sit down next to him well you sat down next like on the actual seat next to him because it was the perfect next seat in a completely empty movie theater you sat yeah, down they had, they right, like not even not even a seat in the middle like literally right next to this stranger rows. i think they had like they had like 30 or like 28 rows so the two perfect seats would be row seat 15 or 16 i think he was seated on like seat 15 so i just took 16 because they had the same impact i love it it's amazing <sighs> high school me was bold seems unnecessary but it's very funny (laughs) star trek come out did the star trek one come out when i was in high school i feel like it came out 2009 okay i was in high school yeah wait no no i was in my first year i was i was a young human who was quite bold (laughs) oh man (laughs) okay you know exactly you're getting Back you knew exactly what you were getting into when you started dating me, because you'd already run into me in movie theaters and seen that I did this kind of BS. Yeah. So back to the <laughs> I think... Uh, You're never so, getting over well, the fact that I did this. I know. So one of the reasons I uh, I didn't like Batman vs. Superman is I felt that characters had no real motivation, that they just went from place to place so that they could be in different fight scenes against each other. And you didn't really understand why characters were doing things. Um what I didn't realize at the time is that it was because Warner Brothers had cut out half an hour of footage of character development. And the same thing happened here. Like, my favorite character in this film was Alfred. Because Alfred has some... is played by Jeremy Irons, who's one of my favorite actors. Uh, watch our Lolita review if you haven't uh, seen it already. And he has some amazing scenes. And apparently he worked quite closely with writer Chris Terrio to get the lines just right. Um... So he has like this really funny scene where he would wonder Woman where he's talking, where he's like micromanaging her making tea. And he has this like, you know, kind of father-son relationship with with um uh with Bruce Wayne. Yeah, so I thought that this writer was a hack who didn't care about characters at all. Like this is the guy who wrote Batman for Superman and wrote the Rise of Skywalker film as well. And I was like, he clearly doesn't care about developing characters, it's just about like you know, getting them in weird and wacky situations. But you watch the film and you realize how much of a character focus there is. Like, the reason it works as an action film is that you're invested in the characters and you care about them. Like, I really enjoyed the character of Cyclops. Um, a Cyborg. Car- oh, what did I say? Sly- oh. Cyclops? <laughs> That's really funny, though. Keep that. I have, I have Cyclops are in here. Oh, no. Cyclops. Oh, oh, so, yeah. Maybe it's an X-Men crossover. That could be our next... Uh, <laughs> yeah, really like, I really like the character of Cyborg because um, it's a he's a character who is brought back to life um, but he as a cyborg but he views his new form as like a disability and he feels um, ostracized, feels alienated and feels resentful to, to his dad who brought him back to life. What do you think of his character? I really liked his character also um Here's the thing, okay? I think I had an issue in the 2017 movie 
with them portraying him basically as almost like an angry black youth. I was like, that is just such a stereotype that has been beaten over again and again. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. It's a cliche, like, yeah. you know, the, the angry black man. And then, but in the in this movie, like in the beginning, I thought that's the way they were going. I was like, oh, are they not going to make Cyborg any more complex? It's just like, it's just like an angry, like they're going to do this continuous portrayal of like, an angry black like teenager um but no like they they look like they're gonna do that for like the first five minutes they completely swerve like he's given such like an emotional backstory and like an understanding of why he feels like resentful towards his father and why he feels like he had so much taken away from him and what i really like in the movie which i don't feel like they ever did in the 2017 movie is they usually have him wearing like his college gear and you realize like He's a high school guy. He was about to go to college. He was really smart. He had done so many kind things for other students around him. He really cared and he was kind and he was sweet. And then in one moment, like all of his dreams and aspirations are kind of taken away from him, which I do think is actually a really good example of like when you haven't, when you aren't born with a disability, but you have an acquired disability from an accident and you suddenly feel like, you know, if you're not given the correct social support systems and you're just ignored like suddenly your ability to go to college might be impacted or your life might be impacted or your ability to have romantic relationships with others might be impacted you know mm. yeah and no, i think unless you have the proper psychological support it's much harder to uh, to kind of de- like develop this ability like that like to lose a limb or to lose sight or hearing rather than to be born with it and never know any difference um and i feel as well in the car accident where he's maimed his mother is killed and he blames his father for the uh uh, for her death and I feel it, tie, it ties it really well with kind of the central theme of grief in the film like the film is about Superman being dead and the world grieving for him um, and you know Lois Lane gr- uh, grieving for her um, for her fiance like um, and oh, wait, you know, Lois was... and Bruce Wayne having like a you know internalized guilt about the death of him is that what you're saying about Lois Lane oh yeah I was gonna say uh, Lois Lane was basically useless in the 2017 movie. She isn't necessarily that much better in this movie, but the couple of added scenes of her, like, there's one scene where she's talking to, I'm going to put in quotation marks, Martha. Talking yeah. to Martha. Um, but I thought that was one of the most emotional scenes in the movie. Like, where they're sitting down, they're talking about the complexities of death and grief and mourning and feeling like you lost a part of your life that you can't go back to. Because Lois was this high-powered, successful journalist. And going back to her office causes her trauma. Because yeah. it is a reminder of the man, of her fiancé that she lost. Like, everyone else in the world is grieving Superman, but she's grieving the very real relationship that she had. Yeah. And she can't talk about it as well because her, um, you know, super ha- Superman's identity was never revealed. So she feels like doubly alone and isolated. Yeah. And I just um, thought the theme of isolation was so strong and impactful, particularly when you add in the cyborg storyline. Or even just um, like Barry, the Flash. Like this isn't as heavily emphasized, but he's basically raising himself. Like he's like a 21, 22 year old kid still raising himself because his father's in jail. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And like, you really do care about the characters and you invest in them. I feel like that there's that great scene with Lois and Marta. I feel it's really undercut because of the the, the shot that comes just afterwards after Marta leaves. I know that was unnecessary. That's like that was one of the things with the movie where I'm like, this could have been better. 
Yeah, there's certain things that could have been improved where I'm like... If you do a Cormac Duff cut, then you need to take out all of uh, the scenes of, with that. Yeah, I figured there is a there is a sweet spot in the film. It's a, So the film is almost four hours of Snyder Cut. I think there is a sweet spot in the film where it's about three hours and 20 minutes long. You should, you should actually do a Cormac Duff cut. Because, like, one of the things I liked about it is they 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 um, broke the film up into, like, seven chunks. So you can watch it like a miniseries. So I think we watched it over two or three nights because it would be very rough to watch over in one sitting. Um, but the pace is, is incredibly slow. <laughs> like, like the main character, or the main villain, Steppenwolf, has to collect these three boxes. And I think he's at, like, one and a half boxes. And I'm like... Come on, come on. He's like, I have all... And he's speaking to his um, superiors like, I have almost got located the second box. And I was like, oh my God, what is that you so long? Like, there, you... there is a sweet spot somewhere. I, I didn't mind it that much because of how they structured the film. But if I was in the cinema, I don't think I would have sat down for four hours in a row. Like, I think The Irishman is pretty much the longest film I've sat. Is that true? And I think even that wasn't that long. The Irishman felt a bit long. I'm not going to lie. Like, when we were sitting there, we were, we were legit looking at each other being like, so, when does this movie end exactly? But yeah, I, the, they, like I said, there were a couple of scenes where I just was like, was this really necessary? Like, for example, the scene with Aquaman, where they literally just have, like, these Swedish, Norwegian, I, I feel so bad that I don't know, like, what language they're speaking. Um, they just have them chant for, like, a minute, a minute of chanting. I'm like, if I... If I cut down this movie, it'd be three hours and 59 minutes, sir. That's already one solid minute off. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, yeah, so there's definitely is a sweet spot. You could see in the, um, when you watch the difference between the Joss Whedon cut and the Snyder cut, they literally, because Joss Whedon had to get it within two hours, the film is literally 120 minutes long, and they had to cut, like, you know, microseconds out wherever they could. Like, they cut out frames wherever they could, because the studio pressure is so high, it's so... Um, have so um, stringent to cut the film into two hours. And the reason for that is because if you have a two-hour movie showing in like a cinema screen as opposed to a four-hour movie, it means you can show like twice as many um, showings per day. So hypothetically, you make twice as much money. And this is very much the conventional wisdom in the you know, 1980s, 1990s, that if you had an action movie, it needed to be two hours or less. Um, I, I don't think it holds up now because um, Titanic is over three hours long. Avengers Endgame, over three hours long, like Avatar, over three hours long, like the most successful movies of the last um, 20 plus years have been over three hours long. You know what disappoints me and what I think we should reinstate in movies? A break in between the movies. Yes, like, intermission. Old timey movies. They should literally have like an hour and a half of the movie, intermission, like a 20 minute intermission. You can go get a snack and go to the bathroom and then another hour and a half. Yeah. It worked out great. When I was in, um, I went to see Lord of the Rings at Two Towers in a small cinema in Castle Bar, and they had an intermission in the film. They just created one where um, when Aragorn is like attacked by that warg creature and falls off his horse in the river, you're like, oh no, Aragorn's dead. And they're like, intermission. And it was great because it kind of leaves on the cliffhanger. They're between reels of the film, so it's like a natural time to, to change it. And it means that like you have a chance to like go out, get some snacks, go to the bathroom, and then come back in. Like we watched, um, like I think the idea of the intermission comes from theater. And uh, when we watch Funny Girl, there's like an intermission in that because you know it's based on a on a play that literally has the intermission after she sings "Don't Rain in My Parade." But it also gives you, it also gives as well as the audience chance to to you know go like have perform bodily functions. It gives you a chance to kind of process what's happening so far. 
and know, chat with each other and chat with each other yeah and like you know say what do you think is going to happen next like i think it's i think they should reinstate it and i know there's probably big pressure to you know to keep films um to uh keep films short but i think cinema chains will be up for it because if it means they can sell you more stuff in those 15 minutes why wouldn't they do it well, the thing that the thing that I kind of hope that will happen is that now that a lot of cinemas, like basically, since a lot of movie companies now are selling their movies like jointly to Netflix and stuff, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now that it's become a more comfortable thing to watch movies at home, because particularly like during COVID, we've all started watching movies at home, and I think that a lot of us have probably realized that it's a very comfortable thing, and mm-hmm. it'll take like a really big movie. For us to willingly go out and venture to a cinema in the future, honestly. Mm. And I think that the way they should get around that is that they should actually pivot towards the more old-fashioned theater kind of thing where they make it like an experience. Like you can go and you can order like your drink and you can also like order drinks for the intermission to just have them be there for you already. And you can sit down and chat with your friends and get a snack like in 30 minutes in between, you know? Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the way it'll go. Like they used to have um, in the 1960s, like we were saying before in, in our Funny Girl review, how musicals were like the big blockbusters of the era. And people would have like road shows and, you know, the, the film would go on tour across different cities like a um, like a Broadway show would. They had the intermissions like when we watched Funny Girl, they literally had an overture at the start where the screen is all black. but There's like orchestral music playing. I was like, yeah. is, there, is this part of the movie? And she, she, you were like, I, I don't know. So we like skip forward three minutes and the film actually started then in the credits. Because yeah. the cut of Funny Girl I'd seen didn't have that, like the first cut I ever saw. But actually, I, I did kind of like it. It just was unexpected. But um, yeah, like, look, I'm not saying the theater has to become exactly, sorry, that's, that movies need to become exactly like theater. But considering the fact that nowadays like a movie gets released and then a week later or same day it's on netflix or hulu or like hbo or something um i think that the way to get people out is to make it become like more more of an affair yeah i think so they need to make they need to make the differentiate the film going experience from netflix um and from streaming services and you know people are pretty comfortable to watch things at home like everyone's watched like we watched this at home it was great and we were, because it was split up into different parts, it was like ideal for home viewing. Um, so if we're able to put up movies into different parts for, you know, longer movies like this for, for home viewing, why can't we split up into two parts for cinema viewing? Yeah, that's just what I'm like. I just think that the two hour movie formula for me, but I'm also one of those people that I like long storylines. Like I like the chance to have things be very well developed, you know, because I, because I get, I get annoyed when there's like anything that I don't get in the movie, if that makes sense. Like, for example, in the in the Snyder Cut, Diana goes into a temple that has just been like that people think has just been set on fire. There are police surrounding her, right? Like mm-hmm. there's like there's supposed to be police surrounding the place. She gets in somehow to the middle and like picks up the arrow and like we had just seen it get, like, exploded and stuff, and I'm like, okay, so no police, like, went to check that arrow? Like, no one stopped this very well-dressed young lady in heels from, like, stepping into an active crime scene? And then she suddenly ends up, like, she jumps down somewhere, she ends up, like, in a cave. And I'm like, there was no explanation of how you got in this cave, Diana! Yeah, exactly. I was like, they really need some sort of transition shot for the cave. <laughs> like, maybe... 
I know. And it was like, and the problem is, is that I'm one of those people that I don't, I don't go with the flow with a movie. If there is like a transitional, like jump like that, then I will literally sit there for five minutes and be like, why did you make that choice? I don't like that. Why did you do that? Like, like I think you have to pause the movie at that scene because I'm just so annoyed. I was like, hmm. It's like that scene in, in BoJack Horseman where uh, he's like, he's being a diva on the 90s set of the show. And he's like, I don't get this at all. Um, I say, oh no, oh no, reading the script. I'm not wearing that sweater. Then the next scene is me wearing the sweater. It doesn't make any sense. We need a scene where it's me deciding to wear the sweater. <laughs> but I actually am one of those people where I need that scene. So, um, <laughs> but that's the whole point of the development. The joke is a jump cut. <laughs> yeah, I need that. I need that. Um, emotionally and so that I'm not annoyed all the time. Ugh. So yeah, my point is, I think that it would be really great if we started making three, hours mo- three hour movies of Norm. I just think I need an intermission in between to be able to yeah. fully enjoy it. Because sitting through something for three hours straight is like a bit of a hassle. I think that's fair. Um, cool. Is there anything else you want to add about this movie? Oh, it was really good. The ending is so amazing. I just enjoy so much how they completely... Just Jesus, the ending of the 2017 movie was so bad and this ending was so good. I was legit shook. I was like, Cormac, this might be the most creative ending to a superhero movie that I have seen in ages, actually. Yeah, so one of the one of the things I really appreciated about it is in the theatrical cut, uh, they've refilmed most of the ending, and the film is basically, uh, you know, oh, it's nice to work together as a team, but really you just need one guy who's super powerful and is Superman, Superman. and he he is going to uh, beat up the bad guy because the rest of you failed. Um, so yeah, you just need one strong friend, and the rest of you can can kind of you know wing it, be in the backseat. Um, and like they did this where there's literary scenes in the Joss Whedon cut where they'll have photoshopped out, you know, um, members of the Justice League. There's like a scene where Wonder Woman is there. And in the in the Joss Whedon version, they photoshopped out Aquaman and Cyclops from the backgrounds. Um, so it's more like they're fighting them individually than actually yeah. fighting them as a team, which is such a weird choice. Yeah, the whole point is that um, every time that the so there's these three mother boxes, every time that people have tried to defend them alone, whether they're like the Wonder Woman people, the Aquaman people, or humans on Earth, they have failed. So it's only by like combining together and working as a team that they succeed. And I like that uh, our two like new characters, two main characters, have to are are like the most central elements like the flash and um cyborg are needed to um uh as, as well save as Superman. The day. they yeah, save exactly, to save the day and you know like the climactic moments of the film is like cyborg coming to terms with his loss and uh realizing that he's not alone he's a member of a team i'm like that's a really touching ending rather than just like this guy is super strong he's going to beat up the bad guy Boop, 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 I'm Superman. Yeah, and also, the Steppenwolf's character design looked cool. He had, like, all these... Um, they changed it so that his armor is more pointy and shiny. And I actually... They gave him some sort of character development as well, so he wasn't completely two-dimensional. And I actually felt bad for him. He got killed at the end. I'm like, he doesn't seem like such a bad guy. Like, whereas the theatrical version, was, he was very much just a 2D generic villain. Oh, yeah, the ending was just so badass with Wonder Woman cutting off his head. Sorry, spoiler, whatever. It was so cool. <laughs> so good. Nice. Perfect. So flop or, or sorry, bop or? Bop. Bop or flop. You, you, bop or you... flop. Didn't we do bop or scam? 
Oh, whoops. Bopper flop would have been way better. Why have we been doing bopper scam this whole time? Because they're all flops, technically. They all lost money. Like, this movie still lost money. Ah, oh, such a bop, though. Such a hard bop. It's like a bop to the top. Slip and slide yeah. and ride that rhythm. <laughs> okay, this this was formerly a, uh, in its theatrical version, a scam that has been turned into a bop. Uh, so much so that I want to watch Batman vs Superman, the, uh, the the director's cut. We, we might review that at some that. stage. We do that. Yeah, and we should review other, t- other director's cuts. Like famously, Kingdom of Heaven director's cut is made a huge difference to the quality of the film. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, perfect. Um, so bye, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.